0: My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound.
1: Welcome to Storybound, presented by Lit Hub Radio and the Pod Podglomerate. I'm your host, Jude Brewer. In just one minute, you will hear a story from Chloe Caldwell with an original score by Tony Curaldo. And if you stick around until after the credits, well, you'll get to hear some behind the scenes and thoughts on the season so far and uh, whatever, you know, comes out on my mind. So see you soon.
0: You'll be okay, my friend Eliza said when I got my period on the evening of December 15th. We were leaving for New York City that night, and I was nervous about how my cramps and mood swings would put a damper on the next day's activities, which included a big trip to the Museum of Natural History that I'd planned with my partner, Tony, and his seven-year-old daughter, Willa. Probably not, I responded as I packed the Advil and THC salve into my bag in Hudson. I knew how I could seem absolutely fine one moment, only to have an out-of-control premenstrual dysphoric disorder meltdown come on. But I was hopeful, since the PMDD episodes usually came pre-bleeding, and, though I had experienced some major irritability, I hadn't had what I'd call an outburst. Maybe I'd gotten out of December scot-free. Could I be so lucky? The next morning, I'd woken up so excited The four of us, Tony, Willa, Eliza, and me, ate breakfast at the Waverly Diner, which was lovely, and I was relieved at how normal I was feeling. Then, outside the diner, walking to the subway, Tony told me his way to get to the Museum of Natural History was faster than what I had suggested. I felt the physical PMDD symptoms kick in hard and fast. Tony describes it as a black cloak dropping over my entire body. He calls it the female Incredible Hulk. In a millisecond, my body is prickling with paranoia, pulsing with rage, heavy with sadness and anger. We walked underground, and Eliza asked if I was okay as Tony walked away from me momentarily. I began crying and telling her how angry I was. She looked concerned, her eyes so loving, and a little fearful, the same way Tony looks at me during PMDD the same way I look at myself, a way that breaks my heart. The Museum of Natural History is not the ideal venue for a PMDD episode. I already felt simultaneously disconnected from reality, while reality felt high definition, which was only exacerbated by the fossil of Tyrannosaurus rex. I couldn't trust myself or my emotions. I noticed my crumpled up ticket in the coat of my pocket My hand was in a sweaty, bald fist. It was shredded and wet. Was that a panic or anxiety attack? A rage attack? Tony tells me he knows exactly when I am in PMDD because I use the words always and never, tell him he's an asshole, and text the phrase WTF with a bunch of exclamation points and question marks. This has happened without fail every month. We now have a deal that I am not allowed to text him swear words during PMDD week even in acronym form. But FTS, fuck that shit. Just kidding. First up at the museum was the Butterfly Conservatory. I watched the metallic butterflies and could barely stand their beauty. Then we attended a 4D movie titled Dark Universe, narrated by Neil deGrasse Tyson, who Tony says should narrate the PMDD episode descriptions of my book. The description of the film is... Dark Universe examines the invisible dark matter underlying galaxies that, together with dark energy, accounts for that other 95% of the universe's total energy and mass. The movie began and there were sparkles of pink and blue falling over us. I could not retain one fact. Tony leaned over and began sternly speaking to me, because anytime he reached out, I ignored him. He started saying that he knew this was PMDD energy coming at him that it was familiar, that he wanted to have a good day with his daughter. Was I able to have a good day? Because if not, I should go my way for the day and he should go his. As he spoke, I cried harder. I felt so guilty, so shitty, so mad at myself, and yet I could not stop. I was completely raw and enraged. Toward the end of the film, I repeated to myself, Take his hand, take his hand, take his hand. And then I did. I hoped I could soften, but I was so far gone. And then, even after I'd come back to myself for 20 minutes, the wave of PMDD came back and took me under, boogie boarding. I felt raw, my reality not matching anyone else's. As Sheila Hetty describes her PMDD in her novel Motherhood, there was a tall, thick wall between myself and the world preventing me from seeing, while giving me the impression that I was truly seeing. Walking through the mummy exhibit, Willa gently said my name out of nowhere while reaching for my hand. That's all she said, my name, not as a question, just a statement, Chloe. I found this ridiculously moving, but anytime I opened my mouth, a sob almost escaped. So I just squeezed her hand and she squeezed mine back in return. Tony and Willa did not sit with me on the Amtrak home. I sat alone by the window with Eliza across the aisle. I took my shoes off, put my headphones in, and cried while Tony and I texted about what hell the trip had been. That night, after I had calmed down, we sat in the living room and talked for two hours. We were both exhausted by this cycle. My energy during those episodes felt violent. They were destructive to my relationship. We made a list titled PMDD Tools for what to do next time, including things like leave the situation, take a bath, go to bed, and the next morning I even wrote myself a letter from myself in a non-PMDD episode. There was so much repair to do from the day. The repair went on for the next few days. Tony and I slept in the guest room because Willa fell asleep in his bed before we could. Something I noticed that night was that we unusually stayed on one side of the bed, and he never turned away from me, not once, kept pulling me only toward him. In the morning, I woke to my clear-headed, grounded, relatively cheerful self. The Hormonology app resets itself for the next month, and of course, I was due to get my period on Tony's birthday, January 11th fuck me he was tracking this as well on his own apps and seemed upset and apprehensive about this it's like you're two different people he said i don't know which chloe i'm going to get i couldn't live this way anymore my story for a long time was i don't want to be one of those people who are always trying different medications i envisioned worst case scenarios blowing up 40 pounds seemingly overnight bitching about side effects, addicted to the lifestyle of throwing meds at a problem. I'd wanted to figure it out on my own, or my ego did. There's a photo I recently saw online with a split screen. One side said, PMS, with a photo of a woman pulling her hair out. And the other said, PMDD, with a woman on the edge of a rooftop. PMDD affects three to 8% of women of childbearing age and their symptoms, including insomnia, mood swings, hot flashes, depression, and severe fatigue, subside at the onset of menstruation and disappear until the next menstrual cycle. Between ovulation and menstruation, progesterone drops, and women sensitive to the hormone experience aggression, paranoia, and anxiety. At the symptomatic phase of the condition, women who suffer from PMDD are unable to function at their normal capacity. In the year 2000, the FDA approved Prozac as the only antidepressant suitable for treating PMDD. It was rebranded as the more feminine sounding Seraphem, but made with identical ingredients to Prozac. When women with PMDD were given Prozac, 80% felt better after treatment. Some women take it only beginning the day they ovulate until the onset of menstruation. When serotonin is blocked in the brain, the result is strikingly similar to PMDD symptoms. So it makes sense that an SSRI would treat both issues. When a person first takes an SSRI, serotonin levels begin to increase over 12 to 24 hours. It is not enough to treat major depressives, but it is enough to treat women with PMS or PMDD. Clinically, women say by the time they seek medical treatment for their severe symptoms, Many women are so discouraged by the lack of improvement after trying self-help treatments that they don't expect the medication to work either. When their next menstrual cycle comes with none of their usual premenstrual symptoms, they report being shocked and delighted, writes Dr. Diana L. Dell in The PMDD Phenomenon. I reached out to family members, friends, and their partners, Instagram followers, I was surprised to find that more of my family and friends than I knew were on antidepressants. It is sad that my parents' generation did not have this outpouring of resources. You couldn't search the hashtag medicatedandmighty and read captions by beautiful women, celebrities, and non holding their bright orange prescription bottles. My aha moment came when emailing with a family member who said she's taken Prozac for almost 20 years She explained how my grandfather had depression and how, with our genetics, it would be worth trying something. Chloe, you've tried supplements, acupuncture, yoga, meditation, talk therapy. How long do you have to continue to suffer for something genetic that you've inherited? My therapist asked.
1: You are listening to Storybound. And now for a short break. And now we return from our break.
0: I procured my first dose of Prozac two days after the New Year. The day was emotionally taxing. I jump-started the morning with a therapy session that I cried through, and my therapist told me not to leave my doctor's office without a prescription. I was a little offended, but understood what she was saying. It had been a year of the PMDD episodes. After therapy, I met Tony at a cafe and accidentally drank too many cups of coffee. Then I hopped on the phone with my friend Lindsay, who was on Prozac, to talk about Prozac. I walked to my doctor's office, waited about an hour, chatted with the nurse about my PMDD and Prozac, and then my doctor came in and we talked more. By the end of the day, I was so fucking sick of talking about myself and my problems. I rested my computer on my toilet while I took a bath and watched women on YouTube talk about their PMDD. Then walked to Tony's apartment where he made a steak and spinach. I crawled into bed early. Research shows that for depression, SSRIs can take up to six months to begin working. But as noted previously, If you're taking one for proper PMDD, an IM textbook, the effects can begin within 12 hours. The day after I started Prozac, I was standing in my kitchen making tea, the way I do about seven times a day. I was making my women's cycle tea because I need all the help I can get. And I notice, though it is a six-degree day and snowing, I am thinking these positive thoughts about spring. How beautiful spring is. How cool that spring comes after winter. What an amazing cycle. Normally, I stand in the kitchen or in front of my space heater and think about how cold it is, how much I hate the cold, how hard the cold makes everything, how terrible winter is, how difficult life is. What's the point of anything? Later that day, I noticed music was sounding even better than usual, and I was loudly singing along. Willa recently asked me what my latest essay was about. Complicated things you go through as an adult woman. Problems you may have, hormones, moods, stuff like that. Oh, so it's like the opposite of light. Tony and I caught eyes. What do you mean the opposite of light, I asked. Well, it's the opposite of what I write. What do you write? Like essays about autumn, for example. Maybe I was conditioned to think antidepressants were for weaker people. It is true that on some level, I probably felt superior for not being on antidepressants, even though my friends were on them, even though writers I admired were on them, even though my family members were on them. I remember my friend Lindsay once telling me, when considering it, that I seemed really functional. This made me smug. I could be a writer, a little nuts, and use drugs recreationally, Last summer, during the worst August of my life, I asked my therapist if she thought I should try medication. I don't know, she said, you're functioning pretty well. You're acknowledging everything, working on it, going to yoga. Antidepressants were for people whose problems were more serious than mine, for people who couldn't get out of bed. I see now this was both a compliment and a curse, tricking me into thinking everything was okay. But I was sick of being utterly terrified of my period. It didn't feel healthy to dread my ovulation day, knowing it was all downhill from here. I was sick of obsessively checking the hormonology app, of having to write letters of apology for the rage and words I regret saying the moment I begin bleeding. I was so tired of observing myself, but then I countered that with, well, I've made a career out of observing myself. One morning, I found myself googling, I love Prozac, on the toilet. I woke up with Tony to his alarm, here comes the sun, at 7.30 a.m., and we got out of bed around 8. When I woke, my mind wasn't already full. It was clear and ready for the day. Later, I caught myself skipping in the kitchen, then dancing in the living room. My acne was flaring because it was period week, also known as mean season, as coined by the boyfriend of a woman on YouTube. But it didn't make me as upset as normal. I found I was having thoughts like, oh well, it will pass. My car battery was dead and Tony texted me, oh no, that sucks. I responded, it's okay, it will probably start when the weather warms tomorrow. It occurred to me, is this how Tony always feels? Not always, he hates that word, but is it his baseline? I had a moment of understanding how frustrating for him I must be if this is his natural state. If I could just give Tony a month where I don't have an outburst, it would be the best birthday gift I could give him. And then, a miracle. I got my period the day before his birthday, eight days into my Prozac experiment, with barely a glimmer of regular PMS. I was sitting on my therapist's couch, not crying, when I began to feel some cramps. I am glad, she said, when I pulled my boots on to leave, that you are feeling more buoyant. The next day, we had a lovely morning of sleeping in and coffee, an afternoon walk through the snow at a nature conservatory, and a silly and romantic dinner out. Sure, I took a couple of Advil for cramps and had some minor irritability, but it was so minor, in fact, that I'm not even sure I had any. And after living through what feels like a nightmare on earth, I welcome any regular irritability with open-as-fuck arms. You, Tony said, across from me at dinner, are doing really well. Your mood is so even, it's wild. I was ecstatic for days after. I had gotten through my period without collateral damage. It was so relaxing. One invaluable lesson I've learned is that no one will advocate for you. No one else cares if you go on Prozac, the same way no one cares if you make art or not. Your mental health is your own responsibility, especially when it affects those around you. Prozac has not fixed me and will not fix me. I dislike narratives where the end is the author, all happy, having found her thing. Life is more complex. It is February when I am writing this, and the week leading up to my period has not been sunshine and roses. Looks like we've arrived at our PMDD destination a little earlier than expected, "'Please watch your head when exiting the platform,' Tony texted. "'Fuck off. It's kind of funny, but still,' I responded. Like Elizabeth Wurzel writes in Prozac Nation, "'I can't help feeling that anything that works so effectively, that is so transformative, has got to be hurting me at another end, maybe sometime further down the road.'" But for now... I am letting myself feel what millions before me have already felt, a touch of relief. I don't feel the opposite of light anymore. And for the first time in years, I didn't experience two weeks in a 4D dark universe. I have to believe I deserve that. Hell, maybe I'll even find myself writing an essay about autumn.
1: This story was an essay originally published on lennyletter.com entitled "The Opposite of Light" on deciding to medicate my premenstrual dysphoric disorder, written and performed by Chloe Caldwell. The music for this episode was composed by Tony Kiraldo. Thank you to the incredible Alyssa Dom for the recommendation, and thank you to Tim Carplus for mixing this episode. Also, please make sure you check out the original comic for this episode. The comic was drawn by Shane Milner, which is available on our Instagram and Twitter at Storybound Pod. Uh, Shane Milner is actually doing a comic for every single one of these episodes, so if you haven't gotten a chance to check them out, um, they're a very unique way to experience these episodes. Storybound is arranged, produced, and hosted by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are Jeff Umbro of The Pod Glomerate and Justin Alvarez of Lithub. This show's theme was developed by Grain Table, and thank you to Modestus Mancus for this outro sample. You want to tell us what you think of the show? Well, you can find us on Twitter at StoryboundPod, or you can tweet at me directly at Jude Brewery. New episodes are released every Tuesday. Next week, you will hear an original story by Garth Greenwell. By Garth Greenwell. Sorry, I it mis it, uh, mispronounced it. I'm. Uh... Oh, it has been a long week. In fact, it's been a really long year so far. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to last week's episode with SoPandeb, but um, I dedicated that episode to my father. And uh, he's been weighing heavily on my mind lately because uh, he was really a person who was responsible for stories in my life at all. You know, I actually started writing because, you know, from the ages of five to seven to about nine, my dad would write these letters to my mother, and I actually got, you know, in possession of these letters recently um, because of his passing, and I've been reading through him, uh, reading through these letters, and they're fascinating because I'm I'm realizing that him writing these letters to. My mother, and then my mother being instructed to read these letters aloud and say things, you know, referencing things that he would reference in the first five years of my life, like um, certain voices he would do, uh, whether it was Rocky Bullwinkle or you know Boris and Tasha, the, the Russian spies in that in that cartoon, or Rocky and Bullwinkle He had all these little characters he would do, and it's funny because he loved doing characters. And he loved performing for me, and I think to some extent that that played a factor in how I grew up. And these letters he would write me, you know, it was how I connected with true feelings. I was um, understanding that if, you know, my father, who I, you know, really adored at a young age, if he was able to transmit his feelings onto paper, then I think in some way I was kind of able to do the same. Because no one on my mother's side or my father's side write. It's just my dad and just me. So somehow he passed along that gift and my mother, also assisted in passing along that gift by reading these letters out loud and encouraging me anytime I wrote. So I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this show honestly wouldn't exist without this. And I'm, I'm realizing so much more how, um, unconsciously, you know, the patterns in our lives end up playing a real role in, in what we do and the choices we make. And I am incredibly grateful for this show. Uh, every week when we, when we have an episode, I'm grateful for all the readers and, um, you know all the writers and the musicians for this show I think it's every episode an experiment and we hardly really know what we're doing each time you know we get the recordings and then we to some extent have to scramble and at this point we you have just reached the halfway point of season 2 so you know we're planning on 10 episodes and we're going to be doing a few bonus episodes you know every month afterward and you know we're already looking ahead for season 3 and the you know the year beyond and we really like hearing from listeners of the show you know I went back through and I I saw a lot of your comments uh, from iTunes reviews, and I struggled with those because, of course, you know, I always want to go back and remix and edit and do a lot of different things uh, with the first season. And actually, really, as soon as I an episode leaves my fingers, I there's always other stuff I want to add or things I want to change. And it's why I'm very happy that we have uh, Tim Carplus on the show lately. He's been helping out a lot um with uh, addressing some of these issues that people brought to us you know thoughts you know certain things were a little more distracting than others and and I also understand it's very subjective because sometimes I you know I really enjoy when music sort of takes over and you have to do this this back and forth you know whether whether or not you're sh- you're supposed to be really paying attention to the words or or the music and we're trying to push a little beyond just the words and just the writer reading and and it doesn't mean we're always going to hit that, you know, every time. And but I really want you to know that we are trying our hardest uh, to make this a fun and engaging show, and also something that would enrich your lives, you know, not just something to entertain, but maybe something to think about, you know, afterwards, or to look forward to for the next week, or you know, a reason, you know, a story that you might connect with. Um, I had a couple of people reach out regarding Tommy Orange's episode, which was episode two this season. And um, it was really nice to hear how his story ended up um, playing a a really big role in a couple of people's lives being being recommended. So thank you again for listening and just sharing the show. Um, That that means everything. I was also talking to a writer friend of mine, Adam Strong, and he was recommending uh, people that he would love to hear. And, you know, if you always have suggestions for the show, you know, or if you there are people that you're interested in listening to or, you know, a, a certain style of story that you've kind of been looking forward to, we would absolutely love to hear from you. I know I say it on every outro, but I, I really do mean it. Like, please tweet at us or go through Instagram because, you know, there are people who've reached even out, you know, to me through my website. Um just by looking at my name, but I think uh, if if you try and reach out to us like we're gonna try and make this show the best thing we possibly can um, because it's been overwhelming their response and just to keep seeing our our listeners grow and our audience grow and it's it's massive you know we've we've really enjoyed uh, a great year so far so again, um, I've probably said this twelve times already in the last five minutes, but thank you thank you thank you so that's eight times now but Anyway, um, yeah, my brain is fried at this point. I just wanted to reserve, you know, this part of the show each week to maybe give a little bit more background on some of the episodes or kind of let you know how we're doing on this end. And um, it's been incredible because Stephanie Dandler's episode, you know, she she, all these, in fact, all these authors, you know, we didn't record them on site. You know, we either, we sent a a microphone out to them or we even recorded after the lockdown. And so the situation for the season's a little bit different than season one. And we anticipate that, of course, the following season um, and others are are gonna be affected as well. But we do have some really neat things in store for you. We're trying to uh, push the boundaries of the show as much as we can. So anyway that's that. Uh, Please take care of yourselves uh, this coming week. Again, be sure to check out the comic for this episode because I think Shane Milner is doing a really good job trying to show, you know, extra, an extra mile that this show can go, you know, by adding a visual element. And we have some other ideas in, in mind for that as well. So, all right. So this is where I quit yapping and take care of yourselves. Bye.